The Holy Gospel comes to us today from the book of Matthew. On this first week of Lent, we come to Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Christ is fully man, but also fully God. But it all started in the garden. It all started in the garden. Where we're at today in Scripture and Matthew's Gospel goes all the way back into the beginning itself. And it's in the beginning, it's in the garden where everything fell apart. It didn't take long for that creation story to capitalize and culminate into something that God didn't originally intend to happen. We must go back and we remember Adam. Adam is God's prize and joy possession. He is God's uh, greatest of his creation, as we hear in Genesis He had created all of the beings uh, throughout all of those days of creation. And suddenly in this point, he has Adam. He tasks Adam. He says, go, take dominion upon the things that I have created. Name them. Be a steward. Take up residence in this garden. Till it and make it your own. And of course, as the days go by, God, of course, is that observant father who has created Adam into this being, and he notices that Adam does not have a partner to do the work. Everything else has a partner, but Adam does not. And out of that dust, that dust that he created Adam, that ruach, the breath, the spirit that he breathes into that dust in which Adam is created, God is going to do another thing with Adam. It's this beautiful moment in which he just kind of makes Adam go to sleep, right? And it's in that sleep that the rib is removed, and of course more dust is gathered, and more breath is given, and then we have Eve, right? It's a beautiful story that culminates at that tree. As, we, uh, as, as Jay eloquently read for us, we are, we are told that God commands them, eat of the trees, take dominion of this garden, enjoy yourselves, but that one tree in the center... The tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not touch, you shall not eat. Until, of course, the serpent shows up. Amen? The serpent shows up. 
Every time God gives a command and every time God also gives a promise, all throughout Scripture, I need you to see that when that promise is given, the devil shows up. The challenge that we live in today is that we give the devil way too much credit. We give the devil a lot of credit. Well, the devil made me do it. The devil's got his talons in everything around the world. The devil is the one that's at fault. We are always naturally capable and willing to pass the buck as human beings, correct? Absolutely. We're always willing to pass the buck, and we're going to pass it on to the devil. What's curious, what you have to look into as we look in Scripture, what the devil does is he simply poses a question. He says to Eve, he says, "Surely surely you will not die, will you? I mean, if God tells you that uh, you are not to eat of this, but you are his pride and joy, you really won't die, will you? The devil poses a question. And that question poses a distraction. And out of that distraction, that question comes the lie that they begin to believe. The truth of the matter is they do not die in that moment, do they? But what the devil did is what the devil always does. He puts that question into your mind, that question of what if, and that what if question that comes uh, comes to to being is what sin is. As As some of my favorite professors have said, Dr. Stephen Paulson this week in his podcast, he goes to talk about the nature of sin, and sin can be reduced to one word and one word alone. That is the word doubt. What the devil does here is he makes Adam and Eve doubt that what God established, what God commanded, what God said is really going to happen. And think about it. If we go, let's practice it with the commandments. Why is it that we fall into the sin of worshiping other gods? Because we doubt that our God is listening. We doubt that our God is active. We doubt that our God is giving us our daily bread. Why is it that we fall into the sin of disobeying and not honoring our fathers and mothers, right? Why is it that that sin comes into fruition? Why? Because we doubt that what mom and dad, what the authorities in our lives, our coaches, our teachers, that what it is that they are saying to us actually has authority. We like to push back. We like to press on those boundaries because we think we have doubt in our mind that what they say is absolute truth and wisdom. Why is it that we find ourselves in infidelity? Because we doubt in the vows that we made. We doubt that that partner God put in our life is enough. We doubt that we even have the strength to abstain from the temptations. And don't worry, we're going to get to that word temptation in a moment. But again, doubt comes in, and with doubt comes the sin. Amen? Why is it that we talk about others behind their backs? Why is it that we covet our neighbor's stuff? Because again, we doubt that what we have is enough. We doubt that what is truth actually reigns to be important in our lives. And so the devil shows up and he places that what-if thought in Adam and Eve's ear. And Adam fails. 
The first Adam, as the theologians, as Luther would argue, that first Adam was given into this world. That first Adam was created nearly perfect. That first Adam was sinless in the moments leading up to this fateful moment. But in that moment, Adam and Eve, Adam, the first Adam, fails. And it sets up a pattern from there on out. It's established again as the Israelites, even as the Israelites are exited out of Egypt in the Exodus story, it shows up again in Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8. They have the opportunity to believe in God. They have the opportunity to abide with God and to know that God's promise will reign true in their hearts. And again, they fail over and over again as they themselves are in the wilderness. Not 40 days like our Lord in today's text, but 40 years, right? But Jesus is different. Jesus, the Son of God, as even the devil acknowledges in our text this morning, Jesus has this moment. And what we have to understand is what happens right before this. What happens right before this is Jesus' baptism. And it's in that baptism that Jesus comes up out of the waters, the heavens are torn open, and we hear the words. Everyone on those banks of that river heard the words, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. It's in those baptismal waters that Jesus is named that Son of God. It gives credence as to why we have that kind of odd interaction when Jesus and John the Baptist, see, Jesus approaches John and he says, I want you to baptize me. And John, remember, we hear this story about five times throughout the church here. John says, I'm not even worthy. No, Lord, I cannot baptize you. You are to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, you will baptize me. You must do this. And it's in that moment at that baptism that again we hear those words, this is my son, the beloved. And immediately after this baptism, as Jesus comes out of the water, as I imagine his cloak is drying off, what happens? Matthew's gospel, it's kind of tame. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. In Mark's gospel, it says, the Spirit thrusts him into the wilderness. That other part of the Trinity, God is going to now send Jesus into the wilderness where Jesus is going to be tested. Whereas Martin Luther argues, Jesus is the new Adam. Here we are. It's almost like being back in the garden, but it's flip opposite. Instead of a garden of lush provision in all things that are needed, now Jesus, God's son, is thrust into the wilderness where it's barren, it's desperate, and he is going to cling to one thing and one thing alone. And remember, that promise was given. And who shows up? The devil shows up. So the devil shows up, and every time he shows up, what he's going to do is he's going to put God's promise on trial. He's going to put that promise to the test. He's going to lie and deceive, and he's simply going to ask, did God really mean what God said to you. And so what we have is we have Jesus responding to that first question. The devil says, if you are the Son of God, that in and of itself is the temptation. If you are the Son of God, in other words, he's putting in Jesus' mind the possibility, am I really God's Son? Am I the one? But we remember, remember, Theologically, we absolutely believe Jesus is fully God and fully man, 
and the devil is tempting it. He's asking it. He's saying, if you are the Son of God, let these stones become bread. Remember, at this point in the story, Jesus is fasting. He's starving. In our lives, by the way, the devil often shows up when we are at our weakest. Amen? When we are starving, when we are thirsty, when we are exhausted, when we are broke, when the tensions in the marriage are absolutely at their highest, when we are sick and we receive that diagnosis, when we are absolutely beaten and the world is against us, the devil always shows up in our weakest moment to do what? To test God's word, to test the promise placed upon you, given by God himself. Jesus answered, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's word is going to be sufficient. God's word, God's promise given to him, is going to be enough. In fact, what we're going to watch in the rest of this scene is that both Jesus, Son of God, and both the devil themselves are masters of Scripture. They're going to go back and forth, which what does that say? Just because someone might master Scripture doesn't mean that they are the be-all, end-all, because that Scripture must be tested back against God's Word, both spoken and written. You'll notice that when the devil throws Scripture at him, he excludes parts. He only gives them just a teaser of it, to show that he knows his stuff, but he excludes the parts that give absolute authority to God. We take it further. Then the devil took him to the holy city uh, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And again, the devil says, if, if you are the son of God, again, are you really God's son? If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, this is when the devil quotes scripture, He will command his angels concerning you that they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. But Jesus responds, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The devil wants you to believe that you have full control over yourself. The devil wants Jesus to believe that you, Jesus, Son of God, have full control over yourself if you truly are the Son of God. And in fact, with that control, you have exuberant amounts of power, and with that power, you should use it. You should call upon the angels, because they are going to serve you and take care of you. And this is when we get into that nature of temptation. Let's pause here, and let's talk about what temptation is. As I said at the beginning of the sermon, we give the devil way too much credit, amen? In fact, we live our lives in this way, in this mindset often, that we almost place the devil as powerful or if more so than God himself and how we interact in this life. Temptation, again, is an example of that. We give so much credit to the desires in our life. We, we, when we often talk about what we're tempted with, Oh, I'm tempted by uh, my coworker. I'm tempted by the alcohol. I'm tempted by the drugs. I'm tempted to procrastinate. We give so much credit to the other entity itself. But that actually is not the root of temptation at all. As Dr. Stephen Paulson went on this week, he says this. He says, temptation is the attempt to align my will to justification rather than aligning my will to God. Temptation is not the desirable thing. 
Temptation is in the heart in which we find ourselves justifying why it is that we long for that desire, that we justify why that thing even is a desire. Temptation is the justification that we then play out. And that justification, that temptation, is a direct response to the what-ifs that the devil places in our mind from the promises of God. Again, the devil took Jesus to a high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. It is in this last test, this last temptation, that what the devil just did, what the devil just offered, is a flip from the baptismal promise that Jesus was given. Jesus, when he comes up out of those waters of baptism, he is named the child, the son of God. Listen to him. And what the devil just says is, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, instead, right here in this capitalizing moment, he no longer asks if you are the son of God. He says, if you will bend on me and worship me, I will give all these things to you. In other words, it's the devil's last chance to take away that promise, to take away that relationship between Jesus and his God the Father and replace it with worship of who? The devil himself. And Jesus' response is, get away from me, Satan, for you worship only God alone. Checkmate. The second Adam, Jesus, the Son of God, wins. Adam fails. Our human condition becomes what it is. The Israelites, 40 years in the wilderness, again and again and again they fail. But Jesus, in exhaustion, Jesus in starvation, Jesus clings to what? He clings to his faith. And with that faith, he clings to God's word. And with God's word, he clings to the promise that God is enough. Jesus is clinging to the faith. He's not clinging to the works. He's not clinging to any attempt of justifying his thoughts or his mind. In fact, he's justifying absolutely nothing. He's clinging to absolutely nothing but that promise given to him in his baptism, that promise that God has claimed him as the Son of God, and he's clinging to that promise that God is going to provide. And I love the verse that comes next. Then the devil left him, the angels came and attended him. God shows up. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in our Lenten journey, we too are going to be tempted time and time again. We are always bound in our conscience and our mind to justify the sins and the decisions, the, the temptations, the desires that come our way. But let us remind ourselves who championed all of those justifications. Christ and Christ alone. At the very end of the story, the devil's going to show up one more time. He shows up at the cross. Notice, notice at the beginning of the story, notice when Jesus is feeding 5,000, 
Within a day, that's reduced to about 500 people following him. It starts with 12 disciples, but by the time we get closer to the cross, it's down to one standing there at the cross, along with those mocking him, along with those spitting on him, and also the devil himself. And what does the devil say that one last time? If you are the Son of God. It's reflected in the scoffers and the mockers at the cross. If you are the Son of God, come down off that cross. And Jesus' response is remaining nailed to the timber for each and every one of us. His response is God's word, and that word is that death will not be the final answer. And he rises in response to that truth. So on our Lenten journeys, let us cling to our faith. Let us cling to our baptism. Let us cling to the promise that God gives us, because that surely is enough. Thanks be to God. Amen.